transformation is forced upon you. You transform because something has already happened. It's too late. And when you think about the crazy compromises large organisations are going through when they do their transformations, they compromise themselves back to their starting position. Transformations go in a circle. What you've got to do is take a step ahead and then stay ahead, which means you're transforming all the time, but in much smaller increments. From Toro Cloud, this is the Coding Over Cocktails podcast, a free pool of thoughts, ideas, and advice from IT experts, innovators, and thought leaders, exploring the world of digital transformation, APIs, microservices, cloud adoption, and more. Welcome to episode 56 of the Coding Over Cocktails podcast. My name is Kevin Montalbo, and joining us from Sydney, Australia, is Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Good morning, David. Good morning, Kevin. Our guest for today is a business technology leader with over 25 years of experience. He partners with clients as a trusted advisor to help bridge the connection between technology-led business transformation and value delivery. He's the co-creator of the Digital Fluency Model and the co-author of Digital Transformation Game Plan, which we'll be talking about today. We're also giving away a copy to one lucky listener courtesy of O'Reilly. So make sure to stick around until the end of the episode to learn how you can win it. Joining us today for a round of cocktails is Gary O'Brien. Hi, Gary. Great to have you on the show. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good morning. Good morning. So your work at ThoughtWorks allows you to engage with business executives so that they can build the capabilities to become modern digital businesses. So your LinkedIn bio mentions how a key part of this is identifying the degree of fluency that businesses need to form their building blocks towards transformation. So what is fluency in this context? Yeah, it's interesting because I've, I've seen you've had James Shaw on the program before and you know the digital fluency model is absolutely born out of the agile fluency model. It, it, it really came because I've spent a lot of time with both technical and business execs talking about transformation and kind of the this kind of gray area between business and IT. And what I learned from that is that no two organizations are the same. No two organizations are going to transform the same way. And so we did a little bit of research around our current clients and some of the work we've done over our history and identified these building blocks that seem to be consistent in modern digital businesses. But probably the key for us was everybody needed the building blocks, all five of them, but the degree in which they would use them varied greatly. And so we started to think about how the more important part was not where you are, but where you want to be. And using that as the indicator of what to be investing in. And so when we thought about that, it really reminded us of the Agile Fluency model. And so we spoke to James, we spoke to Diane and started thinking about how we could create a model that was at an altitude different to the Agile Fluency model, really looked at organisational transformation. So the fluency in this context is the, the degree or the amount that you need to invest in each of the building blocks of a modern digital business in order to meet your aspired state, your strategy, your outcomes. And I guess the counter argument is, you can do a maturity assessment or you can do a kind of benchmarking experiment, but that's great if you just want to be what everyone else is. But what we're trying to say is, what do you want to be? And, and based on that, what should you invest in? Mm. You mentioned there's five building blocks. What are the, what are the five building blocks? Um, so the first is around taking friction out of operating models. So that's everything from how strategy turns into execution from executive to developer is a great way to sort of put it. So 
how do you take friction out of the operator? How do you streamline the way work flows through the organization so that you are better prepared to respond to change? So you can chase value, so to speak. The second one is around platforms, that classic kind of building platform models, whether it's an internal platform model, an external platform business or whatever it might be. So just that ability to kind of productize the technology so that you can plug and play a lot better. The third is around product and and experience design, just the product mentality, the product thinking of how you treat, I guess, taking technology to the boardroom is a a coined phrase that we use a lot around that. The fourth sort of talks to the data play. So it's intelligence-driven decision-making, you know, using data in a proactive way. Almost if you think about, like COVID's probably amplified this a little bit, but I think historical information is less important now. I think using historical data is less important. And so using data as a way to either capture weaker signals of current to make decisions based on or predicting future to make decisions on. So that forms the that fourth building block. And then the last one is your classic engineering culture and, and that kind of real delivery mindset, that execution, the bias for action that, that organisations who are modern digital businesses typically take. So they're the five. And you know, that's what I say. There's some variances as to how much of each of those you would need as an organisation. I mean, if there are obviously five significant areas with representing significant challenges, each in their own right. So when you talk about fluency and how do you quantify or measure fluency? Is it is it your capability or understanding in each of those areas? Is that what you're measuring? No. What I'm, so what we're really doing is working with executives. So the first part of it is about alignment, right? One of the things that I've experienced a lot is just a disconnect between either politically disconnected as to what digital transformation means for each of the execs in the same company or a taxonomy disconnect what what one person thinks we're talking about what another person thinks we're talking about are completely different so the first aspect of fluency is to get the leadership teams onto the same page with their aspiration for the transformation why are we doing this what impact is it going to have? What are we going to measure to make sure that we're actually making the changes that we committed to? Who's involved? Everybody. Um, and and what impact is it going to have on each of the different areas? Let's all agree to that. And then using the fluency model, you come up with what we call a fluency pattern. So it's a fluency pattern that shows you the degree of fluency, which is the same model we use in the agile fluency model. So it's from focusing through executing, optimizing and strengthening and understanding what level you're going to be for each of the building blocks, which creates a pattern. And then that pattern leads to a group of default investments that you should focus on more than others in order to achieve that agreed aspiration. That's interesting. So you draw a conclusion down to a priority. So just explain to me again, how do you get to to that conclusion of the priority? Because knowing where to start is, I think, part of the huge challenge here. Yeah, it's, and some of it's a bit of a trade-off, David. Like if you look inside of, well, let me give you one example, say funding models, right? It's a, it's a bit of a random example. But we all know that modern digital businesses need to use different types of funding models. Like we know that everybody needs to think about being more fluid in the way you can use money and moving money around the business, which is a really difficult thing, right? To take money from one bucket put in another because there's a greater opportunity over there. It is a really hard thing to do. It shouldn't be, but it just is. Um, now, so, so we all know that you need to improve the way you fund work, fund technology investments. Now, I can, at a strengthening level, we could go all kind of beyond budgeting on it, right? We could just take away budgets, become totally filled with money, use ratios, and we could go all the way down that path. 
if I take a step back from it, we could do VC funding. You know, it could be like a bidding and you, you bid for value or whatever. You take a step back from that and it could just be incremental funding. So we're going to allocate $20 million for the project. Here's the first five. Go and show me what you can do. Once you've achieved something, we'll give you the rest. All the way back to do not change my funding model. So there's a tolerance band. And what we're trying to unearth is what's the personality of this company? What's the tolerance you have for change? What are you prepared to do in order to achieve your outcomes? And it gives us an understanding. Are you at strengthening for funding? Now, inside of each building block, there's like five themes. So inside of frictionless operating model, you would have funding, you'd have leadership behaviours, you'd have governance and portfolio management. You'd have all, all these different things in there that we would dig into to kind of understand your tolerance for change and also to understand what's going to unlock speed, what's going to unlock resilience inside your business, how much do we need to do? And that's where we pinpoint the degree of fluency, which then tells us what you should invest in. And, and what we're trying to avoid, the counter-argument to it is like, you know, an organisation's got like the gold standard of cloud teams in their business, right? You can imagine a large corporate would have that, right? They'd have a, a team that's just cloud. And those people have been hired because of their cloud expertise. And therefore, they spend every day trying to be the best damn cloud group in the world in that industry. Is that the right thing for a company? Like if your aspiration, if your transformation you're trying to achieve does not require a gold standard, it requires good enough, then why are we investing all that money? Why are we chasing the new brand new thing in that technology space when we should be applying it to maybe a data environment, which is going to give you a more return and greater return? Or we could be applying it to an operating model to say, look, what's the point of working this way if your operating model is the thing that continues to hold you back? doesn't matter how much you invest in cloud. If you still take 15 months to plan what you're going to do, if you're too rigid to be able to change investment directions, if you have no way to measure whether the thing you're investing in is actually working or not to know whether you should pivot, what's the point of all that investment? So it's what we're trying to do is, is get rid of the noise of infinity and bring things down to a far more focused Let's achieve something. Let's get a return out of this transformation and, and then move on to the next most logical step. When you're doing your analysis of an organisation and, and sort of determining this willingness for change and fluency and, and what their objectives are, how, how, where do you start in the value chain and how far down do you go? Do you start at the board level and work your way down to an operations level? Because like, obviously... The CEO might tell you, oh, yeah, we're totally willing to change and we want to do this and that. And then culturally within the organisation, it could be somewhat different and there could be resistance to change. So how do you approach that challenge? So there's probably two answers to this. Like one is probably a whole different conversation about, about why transformation is probably not the right way to go about this anymore. But, but what, we're, what we're now realising is there's been a massive shift in the direct answer to your question, which is if you had asked me 12 months ago, I wouldn't have thought about the board much. But today, it's huge. I think COVID has accelerated that, right? Like, So now we need boards who are a little bit tech savvy, who are definitely understanding of the impact that technology now has on the success of a business and therefore not having any technical expertise inside the board is just not on anymore. And then when you think about the role of a board in the governance part of it, you know, they need to remain arm's length a lot and things like that. What you need them to know is to how to ask 
different questions, how to be involved in a shorter feedback loop because this kind of board meeting once every quarter or something and then having oversight, it's just not going to be enough. The feedback loop needs to be smaller. So there's definitely a changing role for the board in all of this. So that's a tick to them. Then the executive group needs to be a colleague of mine, Sunil, sort of said the other day, the difference between complex and what was the other word we used? Complex and complicated. You know, the whole Kinevin type model where you sit there and go, well, most transformations have been done in a complicated fashion, right? They, they have a problem and they're hiring experts to fix it. You know, you have a car with a flat tyre, you hire a person who can fix the tyre and it has no impact on its drivability, it has no impact on the engine, it has no impact on the interior. Transformations aren't like that. You cannot contain a transformation. You can't go, I'm going to do one division or one project or one program. It's going to touch everything. So therefore, at the executive level, they all need to align on this because if, 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 it, if there's just one or two people who are off in a different direction, for example, if you have IT doing IT as a service in their transformation and you've got the business trying to do some kind of Spotify model or so, right, those two things don't go together. You can't have one model that says IT should be part of the business and we should all work together in the single team and another model saying IT should be huge and we should be serving you as a customer. Those things don't work. So we're seeing that everywhere, you know, just, just this multiple transformation attempts going on inside one company and that don't actually fit together. So you need an aligned executive group. And then lastly, you need the momentum of a movement. So underneath the leadership group, you need to create a movement of the practitioners and the experts and the people who really know how this company functions, who understand how they're holding two strings together to keep something alive and that if a if leadership person comes in and goes, break the string, we're going to transform, that things will break. So, so you need them involved to form a movement. So in reality, you need all three. In some respects, I think that's the hardest part is, is because people are generally resistant to change. And so, uh, you know, when you're talking about process change, inevitably there is going to be a, for that operational uh, uh, level on the factory floor, there's going to be some level of process change. And, and generally speaking, people don't like change. <laughs> and so whilst the executive suite may be all aspirational of, you know, what they're going to be in the future and how they want to do things, executing that, that, that down through the value chain, I think is, uh, I suspect is part of the bigger challenge. Um, there was one thing that you mentioned just as you started that ex, uh, answer to that question is you said something about uh, maybe it shouldn't be about change. Can you, I just want to jump back to that because it seems like you said something big and we just skipped straight past it. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was trying to let that slip through. Didn't yeah. I, I carried that by saying it's probably another topic. You remember that bit? Yeah, yeah let's, let's dive into that a bit. Can, tell me again what you're saying there. Maybe it's that I got a little bored over, over COVID. I don't know. But like my brain went to places that have opened my eyes to stuff, right? And, and I sit there and go, what can we learn from a virus? What can we learn from the virus? What's positive that we can apply to business? And I, it, it leads you to Darwinism. It leads you to a whole bunch of things around how viruses work and mutate and how, how hard they are to keep up with and how they are optimised for chaotic behaviour. And I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. And what comes out of that for me is evolution. Evolutionary organisations never have to transform. Transformation is forced upon you. You transform because something has already happened. It's too late. 
And when you think about the crazy compromises large organisations are going through when they do their transformations, they compromise themselves back to their starting position. Transformations go in a circle. What you've got to do is take a step ahead and then stay ahead, which means you're transforming all the time, but in much smaller increments. So I look at that as being more evolution than transformation. Um, And I think there's a massive shift happening in the market right now for evolutionary organisations and that those organisations have certain characteristics that allow them to do that, right? And and things like um, this kind of shared value, like they kind of appreciate everybody extracting value together um, whether it's, I mean, you know, we, we had the old um, ecosystem type conversation, right? Which is which is fine, but I'm talking about next level ecosystem. It's like customers get value, you get value, your partners get value, people you don't know get value from it. So it's this concept of shared value. That thing I talked about earlier about using data to look at weaker signals or look forward. I think that's part of like they can do that really really well. Um, and I also think that there's something a bit cheeky about them, which is that they they seek out change. They actually look for change. They're not bound by um, industry or product or or business model. They just see an opportunity and they can go after it. And you see that companies like Gojek or Grab or, um, I guess, Amazon to some extent, right? They just enter markets unexpectedly that you just, didn't think, but they just see an unmet need in a, in, a, in a customer base and just hit after it. So, as I said, it's a, it's a much bigger topic, but in my head, this is where my head's been going over the last sort of, sort of year and a bit about there's something about the failure in transformations because of compromise politics, you know, legacy technology, all these kind of things that people aren't facing into or don't have that kind of courage to really bust through that's made me go, there's got to be a different way. And, and so that's, that's kind of where I'm heading with it. See the seeds of a new book, Digital Transformation is Dead. Long- I didn't want to write the first book. I'm not <laughs> going to write another book. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting, though. We had a guest recently which uh, suggested that the pandemic inspired a response um, and a response to an event like that, which required, which forced organisations to do remote working and, you know, communicate with their customers and stakeholders digitally, um, you know, in, in a much shorter time span. They may have had some planning to do that in the future, but they needed to implement it now. But that kind of response wasn't transformation because it wasn't a plan, uh, you know, planned, coordinated thing. It was simply responding to an, an unusual event. And I guess that's a good, uh, your analogy of an evolutionary business looking for change, looking for opportunities is not the same as what we went through in the last 18 months. What's your thoughts on on the pandemic and, and was it true business transformation? Was it a hybrid of, you know, something we just had to do? And I... Uh... I think leading into COVID, we landed on a green in theory that I'd say digital is an era, right? I don't think it's a thing. I think digital is an era. Like we've gone through the information age, the agricultural age, the industrial age, the digital age. So, so I said, that's how I see digital. The impact digital has had on every company, regardless of industry, 
is it has heightened the expectation of customers, right? So customers now expect more, want more, real-time, privacy, access to data, whatever it might be, and that that expectation constantly changes. So it's no longer possible for, for a company to meet expectation and stop, right? So we're, we're constantly dealing with heightened customer expectation. We are dealing with a new kind of speed. So speed of decision-making, the requirement of time to market's a lot faster. The time frame of change is a lot shorter. So it's a new kind of speed that we've never seen before. We're dealing with this technology explosion. So both in which technology do I pick? <laughs> right, how do I know which one to use? And in how the hell do I adopt new and emerging technology given my legacy architecture? So we're dealing with this tech challenge. And then what COVID added is resilience. We cannot have single points of failure in our operations, whether it's supply chain, whatever, remote work, all that. We've got to kind of single points of failure. I think leading into COVID, we kind of all nodded our heads at those things. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's faster. Yeah, I get it. There's tech. Yeah, I get it. Customers want more. I get all that. What COVID did was made it instantly real. It made it instantly undeniable that you have to deal with this right now. You can't go, yeah, yeah, we'll deal with that at some point. It became real. To the point where, and I had this conversation with with one of the executive teams I was working with, never have we been closer to Greenfield? Right? Think about that. Ne- never has have these organisations been so close to going back to Greenfield in their history since they were startups. All of a sudden, at the end of COVID, we'd stopped everything. We'd, we'd shut everything down. So the brave question was, what do you leave switched off? This is the one point. You've got one chance right now in this moment over the next probably 6 to 12 months to make a decision about who you want to be in the digital age and beyond because it can't be what you were. It just can't be. Like that was failing. We knew that before COVID. So what COVID has done is said enough already. Like now is the time to be introspective and brave and ignore your org structure, ignore your budgets that have been predetermined, Ignore those things for a second. Ignore the products you currently have in the market. Stop and just go, what do we really need? Because I'll guarantee you, if you did that, you would find most of the work you're doing, you don't really need to be doing. And you'd save a lot of money very, very quickly that you could reinvest. You would understand that a whole world of new opportunity has just opened up, new markets, new business models, new ideas that you can now go after because We've all gotten used to a different way of working, a different way of going about things. Use that as an opportunity to go to places you've never been before. So I think there's, I think what COVID's done is it's, is it's taken us to the point where the brave companies will, re, will reflect on that and go, okay, what do we do from here? The companies that will be crushed by the impact of COVID will just try and we've survived COVID. Let's get, let's start back up again, and they'll. And they'll go back to two years ago and then they'll get there and go, where is everybody? What's every- Why has everything changed? <laughs> so I think that's probably the big impact that it's had um, is it, it made it very real very quickly. Um, the, the need to transform has never been greater, has never been more obvious. And your choice is, you know, tinker because <laughs> there's no choice to do nothing. The choice is tinker around the edges, you know, 
provide the grandeur of executives saying, let's all do this and actually really not be prepared to change or make the courageous decisions that you'd need to, or do something significant at this moment. And, and um, yeah, I think this is the best opportunity we've ever had to do that. Because the reality is, is the consumer has gone through that process as well because they've been idle in their own homes for you know 18 months. They're, they've also reassessed what do we really need? You know, they're not, they haven't been consuming to the extent they have been in the past, they haven't been travelling, they haven't been doing all these sort of things. And so they've reassessed their life and they're likely to go forward in a different way as well. They're just going to naturally do that. They don't have to have an organisational plan to say what they're going to do. They're just going to naturally <laughs> behave differently, right? Absolutely. Where, we'll never go back. We'll yeah. never go back to where we were. Yeah. Actually, I mean, I'm going to have to hand it to my wife. When this, she, this first started out, she said straight away, this is going to change things forever. And I'm like, oh, no, why aren't you? <laughs> you know, we'll go back to normal. And, you know, I wasn't expecting it to drag on for a couple of years at the time. Uh, okay, I'd like to talk about uh, your co-authored book, Digital Transformation Game Plan. Uh, you previously said the book came about because of your experience as a thought worker, particularly by two events. Tell us about the events that inspired you to uh, co-author that book. Yeah, so so event one was the opportunity to work um, as a peer of an IT leadership group for a couple of years as a thought worker, but but basically operating as a peer with that group. Um, and, and really seeing firsthand the limitations and constraints that technologists, leader te- technology leaders operate in, whether it's the, the financial model, the OPEX, CAPEX game, the, um, the constraints of the technology, the legacy technology they've had and, and how it's really difficult to pay for that without the business input and the business don't think they need to pay for tech stuff. That's the technology group. And um, so it's really difficult, and and that difficulty causes causes them to hedge everything, right? So budgets are inflated, costs are inflated, times are inf- everything's hedged, um, just to kind of be able to protect themselves from the unrealistic expectation and KPIs and pay packets and all sorts of things that that are placed upon them. Um, and then I had a second opportunity, which was the opposite. So I got to spend a, a sort of two years with a. Um, you know, very, very large corporate enterprise in the US, um, but with the CEO and her reports. So it was like the opposite experience. I call it the opposite. I shouldn't even call it the opposite because that's the whole point I'm trying to make is there shouldn't be an opposite. Um, but I got to see the lens of the business trying to deal with technology and IT and trying to achieve their goals and their outcomes under those constraints. Um, and it was eye-opening. And and so what I learned about was the the conflict between the two and why it exists because of the way we've structured companies, because of the way we've lost sight of the customer, because of the way technology constraints, because of the way financial constraints, the leadership thinking, the the whole system is busted, mate. Like the, 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 we have built companies based on industrial age practices. And those things don't exist anymore. We've built companies based on predictability, the, the seeking out predictability and certainty, and that does not exist anymore. So the tools, the techniques, the way we go about it just doesn't fit. Um, and so that inspired me, right? And um, 
And then when the CEO of ThoughtWorks sort of came to me and said, you should write a book. And I'm like, no, I'm doing that. Um, and then that conversation turned to, I could do it with you. And I'm like, okay, that's a great idea. <laughs> so, and, and so we just ended up in this amazing um, exchange of conversation. Like, I don't know if you've experienced the kind of the book writing thing that was such a surprise for me. Like chapter one was hard. Like you sit there and your tongue's out the side of your mouth, concentrating, trying to think about what to write. Um, yes. By chapter three or four, you know, Joe and I and Mike, we're, we're just talking to each other. It, you couldn't stop the flow of content because we made it. There was this mental shift of I'm writing a book for others to read. And it moved to actually, I'm just trying to tell an authentic story of my own experience. And when I shifted mentally to that, it was really, really easy to write. And so what I hope people get out of the book, it's a very authentically written book. It's written out of experience and um, and a genuine concern, not not as an academic or as a, you know, the play, the, the game plan conversation is a tongue-in-cheek part of it, like, there is no game plan, man. You cannot follow steps. In fact, we we spoke a lot to O'Reilly who really wanted to use the word playbook, and I'm like, no. Like, I have a basketball background. There's a difference between a playbook and a game plan. A playbook is here. Here's the plays and how to run them. Go and learn it. Follow them like this. A game plan says, we know what the opposition looks like. This is the best style to beat that kind of opposition. When you're out on the floor, make decisions in the moment and respond to that. So it's a it's a the game plan is more of a philosophy than a step by step guide. And so we deliberately you know want want that to come through that that what we think we can show companies how to do is how to go about this and how to get rid of that conflict between IT and the business and to and that both are required to come on that journey together. Um, and that there is a much more simplified way to do this, and it's all easy, and the answer is absolute. It's really not hard to work out, but, and the but part is you must be prepared to make the courageous decisions that are going to become very obvious. You must be prepared to face into the transparency that's going to be created by this that will be uncomfortable. If you can solve for that, the rest of it becomes quite easy. The questions that become really obvious, is that what you said? The answer becomes really obvious. So so, so let me give you an example. Um, simplified operating model, right? So if you, if you were to start from scratch, this is what you do. And so I'm saying to companies that haven't started from scratch, try and get back to this, which is you have a purpose as an organisation the purpose you belong to society, the reason you exist, right, which relates to the value that customers pull from you, right? So that's the starting point. As leaders, you have expertise and knowledge that I expect you to create the outcomes that your business needs to achieve in order to meet purpose, right? So for a major corporate, you know, maybe 25 outcomes tops. So we're talking about the mega outcomes, right? That's what I expect you to be able to do as leaders. And then assign a single measure to that outcome, one, that tells us we're progressing towards it. Then I want to bring together all the people in the company who believe they can contribute to that outcome. And I want them to design work to move the measure. 
right? So straight away, there's a massive difference to how companies work today because typically we decide work based on the peoples and the skills that we already have, and then we spend ages trying to work out what to measure. (laughs) So what I'm saying is design work to move the measure. Then that group have designed some work, and they'll appoint a measure to that work, and the process continues all the way down like a cascade. And at the bottom, you've got a team of autonomous, hopefully agile working people from both business and IT. And when they look up, what they see is the thing that they're doing is intrinsically born from the outcome. It's relate, and, and it's still in outcome language. So they haven't been told, do this thing. They've been told, give me this outcome, which is a subset of the bigger outcome. And what they're measuring is an aligned leading indicator of the original measure. So now you've got this beautifully aligned business. Along that journey, if you did that for every outcome, you would create the backlog of the company, the backlog of work. If you then analyse that backlog from a skills and capabilities perspective, you would then have an answer to the skills and capabilities we need in order to deliver the highest value work to meet our outcomes and achieve purpose. If you then took that skills analysis and overlaid it with what you had today, I believe there'd be a 40 to 60% difference, right? Because your current business was born from history. It's not going to match the value work. Now you've got a gap. Now I'm not saying go and change your business and sack a whole bunch of people. What I'm saying is, can you face into that? Can you work out how to nudge your business back to the skill mix that you need? If Joanne, the project manager from Sydney, resigned, and you had an excess of project managers but a scarcity of BAs in Hong Kong, could you hire the BA in Hong Kong rather than replace Joanne in Sydney? Knowing that, the headcount goes to a different person. Can you face into that conversation? Because most companies can't. Oh, no, this is your structure. No, they're my people. So what happens today instead is that we bid for work every budget cycle based on the people that report to us and the skills that we currently have. No relation to the value work and what you would do if you were truly trying to meet purpose and deliver against the outcomes. So when I say the answer is easy, the answer is quite obvious. The simplified operating model, go and do that. Everyone will be successful. It's brilliant. It's the way you go. It's really simple. But to get there, you have to face into those kind of conversations. And, and not many companies are yet are prepared to face into as an executive group that kind of confrontation um, to really make the change necessary to succeed in transformation. That's a really excellent answer. (laughs) (laughs) I should write a book on that. Oh, wait. (laughs) Have you gone into organisations where they are already doing things along these lines, either consciously or it was a strategic conscious decision, um, like uh, like particularly if the conscious strate- uh, yeah, strategy that that already worked this out and it was through observation you saw them doing it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I think you'll find the current digital darlings have all started that way. You know, whether it's your zero or, or all these, like, you see these organisations everywhere that that have grown at a rate of knots from almost startup roots. 
And they've done that because they've been able to hold on to that real attachment to purpose, really purpose-led organisations. There's a really great culture inside them. The people that work for them love working there. Um, You can see the alignment and why they're doing things that they're doing. Um, So I think that's what happens. But I do think that what, what we're noticing in the industry at the moment, there's a max out of size where the problems that you start to face into become the same problems that traditional firms have. So I'm watching this growing orb in the middle of of startup world versus traditional world, and I'm watching this thing get bigger and bigger and bigger, which is at a certain point in time, even these darlings start to come to a grinding halt and they start to find it really difficult to put things into the market or they find it really difficult to test and learn or they find it really difficult to remain true to the outcome, right? So at some point, traditional bureaucracies start to creep into these companies. Uh, The analogy I use is they start to get adults. Why did they have to hire adults? (laughs) For years, they've been teenagers, bold and taking on the world without fear and, and really going after stuff. And then all of a sudden, I think they get to a size where they go, ooh, what do you mean we've got to deal with HR policy? We don't know how to do that. We better hire an expert. So in comes the HR expert, you know, of 25 years who's got one way and they've got bell curves and they bring all this stuff that really has no place in today's market, right? And they go in there without an understanding of how the company got to where it got to. And they just start to implement the, this is how you do HR well. And everyone goes, oh, thank God, someone's going to take care of that. And then slowly over time, right, the org structure starts to dominate, the funding model starts to dominate, the the leadership thinking starts to shift, everyone starts to worry about their KPIs and and, and we start to optimise for something else. And I think that word optimise is the most critical word in transformation because when you begin to transform, you must pick what you're going to optimise for. And what worries me most is that not through deliberate fault. People start to optimise for the wrong thing. And what I'm saying is if you optimise for the customer, that's what startups have to do. They optimise everything for the customer. As you get bigger, the shift that goes on, people start to optimise for the org structure. They start to optimise for revenue. They start to optimise for profit. And and quite frankly, we get lost. And the most important leap of faith, I think, organisations have to make, or I shouldn't say organisations, the most important leap of faith boards and executive teams have to make in the digital age is that the more value you deliver, the more often to customers, the more profitable you'll become. I can't think of a better line to end the podcast on. Uh, <laughs> Gary, it's super interesting stuff. How can our uh, listeners follow you and learn about your what you're writing about and, of course, your book? Oh, hit, hit me up on LinkedIn for sure. Um, you know, I love I love engaging with the LinkedIn community. I try really, you know, I try to put out controversial thought patterns as much as I can on LinkedIn. So definitely hit me up on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, I'm always up for a chat with anyone. I love riffing about this stuff. As you can tell, I love talking about it. So 
um, you know, so hit me up anytime. And of course, digital transformation game plan published by O'Reilly, available on Amazon.com. Yeah, go buy one. It's a great idea. It's a good yeah, book. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds like it. <laughs> and we have one available for our listeners as well, and uh, we'll give details on that later as well. I'd also <laughs> encourage too that the digital fluency model is a free online. There's a little tool we built to to kind of help people learn it. So just go to go check out the digital fluency model as well and have a play around. Love some feedback on it. And where can we find the digital fluency? On, just straight off the ThoughtWorks webpage. ThoughtWorks.com so, yeah. slash digital-fluency. Terrific. Thanks, Gary, very much. Gary O'Brien, thanks you very much for joining the program today. Thanks for having me. Hey, listeners, hope you had a wonderful time with that conversation. For those who stuck around, we've got a very special surprise for you because we're giving away a copy of Gary's book, Digital Transformation Game Plan, courtesy of O'Reilly. To win it, simply follow us on Twitter at ToroCloud, like, and retweet our contest post. It's that simple. So what do you think of that podcast episode? Let us know in the comments section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at ToroCloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there because we listen. Just look for ToroCloud. On behalf of the team here, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers!